Hello and welcome to the first Women's Day podcast of 2016, a look back at some of our highlights from the past five days and the first week with Christy D as part of the team. And this week we have talked about the challenges of step parenting, found out about a brand new online dating site created and due to be launched from here in the Isle of Man in the next few weeks. And we have discussed the rising popularity of vlogging. But first, what better way to start the new year than with some inspiration from the Isle of Man's only singing drag queen, Vida La Fierce. I don't really need to look very much further. I don't want to have to go where you don't follow. I won't hold it back again. There's passion inside. I can't run from myself. There's nowhere to hide. Well, don't make me close one more door. I don't want to hurt anymore. Stay in my arms if you dare. Or must I imagine you're there? Don't walk away from me. I have nothing, nothing, nothing. If I don't have you. Vida, where did you come from? <laughs> Good question. In, in what way? What planet? Or <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder, how were you born? How was Vida born? Um, I don't actually know how it happened. It was, I've always loved getting on stage and I think I just sort of started experimenting with makeup and then I thought, no, this is actually what I want to do. This is quite fun. And things like RuPaul's Drag Race, um, that I watch religiously and everyone should watch it. It's very funny. Uh, it's brilliant, it's isn't great. it? It's kind of like America's Next Top Model, but with drag queens. So there's, you know, a lot more cattiness and it, it's just great viewing. But it also has a massive heart, the show as well. So, you know, these people are all on journeys and stuff. So it makes you see the person behind it as well. And... You know, people think the drag queens are just this weird sort of putting on women's clothes and just being a little bit crazy. But the, a lot of the drag queens I see, there's immense talent involved in it. Um, like there's so many different types of drag queens as well. There's like singing queens like myself, uh, there's sort of comedy queens, and then there's really artsy out there queens as well. And there's a lot of crossover in between all of them. There's so many different types of drag and it's a big adventure. And what sort of reaction do does Vida get from from family and friends family and friends um pretty pretty supportive it's um you know at the end of the day it's not it's not really it's not a lifestyle choice it's Vida's a character that I play um so it's it's effectively a very long duration acting job <laughs> um which is fun um but like friends amazingly supportive they are great over it Reactions from like public people. Um, first thing normally is exactly what I got when I walked in here about my god, you're tall, because <laughs> I must be. Well, I'm six three as a boy, and then I have these ridiculous heels on, so I'm probably about seven foot. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm a little bit smaller next to just, just a tad. Yes, just came up to the magnificent cleavage. I think. Um, but in terms of the Isle of Man, Vida. How receptive is, is the island? Because I mean, let's be honest, we haven't been known um, for for. Un- forward thinking for many years really we've not been known for it but the Isle of Man is a lot more forward thinking than a lot of people give it credit for um, in the last sort of 15 years there's been a massive change I had big trouble at school um, and you know for the whole gay thing and 
the old man's really really come on loads mm-hmm. and it's a great place people don't bat an eyelid now and i don't know whether it's you know times have moved on like there's a lot of gays in the media and you know it's everything's okay but uh you know everyone deserves the right to get on with their life you know and be happy regardless of you know color gender race you know orientation anything so you know as long as people are nice to each other that's you know how it gets better i mean we were hearing on mandate uh, on night radio this morning about the fact that hopefully same sex marriage could be uh, could be on the island before the summer i mean presumably um that's something that you're applauding Absolutely, yeah. I I dream of a day where we don't have to call it gay marriage and we can just call it marriage, because mm-hmm. you know, like, it, I can't remember. I think it was it might have been George Takei or someone said, you know, I didn't gay park my car. I parked it. <laughs> I didn't go for gay lunch. I had lunch. So it's like you know, marriage is marriage, whether it's between you know, two men, two women, a man, a woman, and you know, that's fine. You know, let people just love each other. <laughs> Where's the harm? So you are the only drag queen on the island. As far as I'm aware, I think I'm the only working one. Um, and I think I'm the only non-imported one. There have been some imported before. But they were probably sent back because they didn't get their import licence or something like that. <laughs> so what, you mentioned uh, that you are a singing drag queen. So what exactly do you do? Um, I, I sing. <laughs> and uh, wildly throw shade at people. Um, that's basically making jokes about people in a it's it's lightly bitchy but it's not like it's not meant with malice um it's a lot harder to do that on audio because you know you sort of the face lets them know it's a joke um but it's all sort of light-hearted picking uh but mostly the singing um obviously i'm a big fan of like soul music and the divas and disco and TT week I did um, sort of quite a bit of classic rock so I went for more Cher, Tina Turner and there were a few jaws dropped when you know a drag queen started belting out ACDC but that was fun and it's nice to do something that people don't expect once in a while. Fida La Fierce have you got any resolutions? I don't make resolutions because I have no willpower um, <laughs> so I will only end up breaking them. The only resolution that I will go with is start the new year being a better person than you were last year and you're going pretty much in the right direction find a passion do something that puts a smile on people's faces and if it's not breaking laws or hurting anyone then to hell with it do it oh i love that that is brilliant that should be our mantra <laughs> i like it but of course we couldn't talk to russell grant without asking him what the future held for us and this is what he had to say starting with me a capricorn with a birthday coming up this weekend girls just in case <laughs> just hint, hint hint you know just putting out there um and apparently perhaps i shouldn't have bothered coming into work today if the stars are to be believed He's starting just before her return, her solar return. So that will mean, yes, yeah, she's going to need at least um, six to seven days to get in the stride. Um, because it's only when she gets to her return, she will have what we call a solar return chart from the 10th of January. And that's when she will then come into her own. It's massive transformations for her, of which this is obviously forms a part of. But the most important thing for her is to learn to let go of things she no longer needs. And it's, in fact, we talked about feng shui and decluttering. This is the perfect week to declutter all of those things in her life that she no longer needs. People, places, possessions, whatever it is. So it's a time of great reward through getting rid of. 
gosh, I hope she's not going to get rid of me. Mm. <laughs> I didn't think so. You better tell me your sign now. Well, mine is the 26th of February and it's Pisces. Pisces. Well, you've been going through a lot of Neptune stuff. And Neptune's a planet of romance, but also psychic and spiritual. The fact that you're going into this colouring in a big way doesn't surprise me because Neptune is what I call the Hollywood planet. It's sophistication. It's technicolour. So this is a time when you need to bring colour into your life. And I don't just mean with my colouring book. You need to do it through your home and your work and everywhere else. You need to bring colours in that make you feel good when you look at them. I've just used yellow, which is not my favourite colour, but it's the colour of intellect. So I've used this wonderful creamy yellow in my study. So when I write, I'm surrounded by a really warm, cosy colour. And that's what you've got to do in your life, is find colours. Neptunian colours tend to be the aquamarines, the sea greens, those beautiful Piscean hues. It's all in the book. Have a read. It will tell you. Because under will. each colour, I actually give a planet and a sign associated with it. And then we've got Christy, finally. That's the 19th of April, so that's Aries. So very, very much the end of Aries, though. And she's coming onto the cusp of Taurus, although she will definitely be sun sign Aries. Her changes will come in approximately two and a half to three years' time, um, and they will be dramatic changes for her. She may even decide to leave the island and move away. So this particular time for her is to enjoy what she's got and take great note of the things that she has in her life, because very soon she will get restless and with a desire for freedom and to break free. And very often with the Uranian aspects, which is what she's going to have, there comes a desire to do something big and new and go off on an adventure. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Restless and a desire for freedom. So basically, you've got me for about two or three years, then I'm moving to Scunthorpe. Just before the break, we were talking to Sammy Leahy just about your, your career primarily, um, but I did mention a creative outlet, and um, you've got part of a saddle in a plastic bag next to you, Sammy. Why? <laughs> well, you, you, you were asking about my equestrian business, which um, I do quite a few different things, but the, the creative side, I think after a number of years of, of doing highbrow big co commercial transactions as a lawyer I wanted to let that creative side come out so I went and with my love of horses went to the Society of Master Saddlers and started doing various courses and one of them was I really wanted to understand how to fit saddles better um, because as as a rider it can be one of the areas that um, is, is a big concern to you that you don't damage your horse that your horse is moving as freely as it can it's an athlete it's it's got a big skeleton, loads of muscles. You know, we all know ourselves if you hurt something, it, you can point at it, whereas a horse can't. So the, the understanding of how a saddle works is um, was was a big drive for me. So, um, so yes, I have a, a tree here, which is not something that people um, normally see as a saddle. It's basically the chassis of the saddle. And... Um, it's, I'm just it's taking quite it out in the background to display for everyone in the studio. This is really good TV stuff for everyone. <laughs> we'll take a video um, and put it online. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's quite an interesting thing, and there's so many different styles and shapes of tree that you can get. Um, but but that is basically what you build the saddle onto, and you would not believe the amount of nails and different processes that go in. 
hundreds and hundreds of nails get hammered into that as you sort of go through the various layers of everything that eventually creates your your saddle that's comfortable for the horse and comfortable for the rider. Do you know, I feel really ignorant because I've never really thought about the process of making a saddle and how they all have to be almost tailor-made. Almost, yes. I mean, um, there's a certain amount of adjustment you can do and trees um, have developed a bit, um, you you know, over the centuries and years. Um, Technology is very much at the forefront of... um, the the sort of saddlery business um although you know old tried and tested methods are still pretty good i mean leather is still the preferred uh, material to use wool is still used as the flocking uh, which is more the sort of padded area that sits between the saddle and the or the tree and the horse's back um so a lot of processes which have been used for a long time are still being used but little designs and even the stirrup bar where the the stirrups attach onto is changing so yeah it's uh, it's interesting i wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of you sammy you've got some pretty impressive tools there as well <laughs> i have yes i've got uh, uh christy's just bringing out the very sharp implement just be which careful it is, is very sharp so it's that that's to actually cut the leather she's testing it now please yes. don't <laughs> don't worry i'm not bleeding yet we haven't um, got a nurse today be careful no and uh yes i could bandage you up if you're a horse but not so good at human Ooh, first aid. is that a whip but uh, this is not a whip oh Joe. no this this is a flocking iron this is this is what you use when the saddle is sort of all put together if you need to put any more flocking into the panel there's little um little slits in the actual panel that you sort of take a little bit of the wool out and and push it in and it's quite a a skillful um, process because you can't have lumps of wool which would then be a lump on the horse's back and cause it injury so you've got to get that really sort of soft and uh, in uh, in a good even finish does it does it make a a huge difference to the horse and and, or actually who does it affect more the horse or the rider to have a, a perfectly bespoke saddle um the horse primarily if if you try to ride a horse in a saddle that doesn't fit um you're going to damage it a lot of there are different types of horses as there are different types of people some horses will put up with it for a bit and try their hardest some will just throw you off and then you can get anything in between but but basically there are sharp edges on the the tree if if any of those bits don't align with the horse's back um you can have problems pressure points sores you might get away with it for a few months you know but after a while it will start to become more and more sore and you've got a rider on top who's then different sense of balance different weight you know the, when they stand up in their stirrups there's more pressure at the front of the saddle when they're jumping there's a heck of a lot of pressure as they land after a jump on the front of the saddle so yeah the mm. the, uh, the, uh, the sort of um, ability for damage to be done is quite big so it should be checked ideally at least every six months and how anyway. long, Sammy, would it take you to make something that, that you have in front of us there? A saddle. Me, it would take quite a while. <laughs> I, I, the one I, I have made a saddle as part of my training and that was under instruction. So it was sort of in a week. Um, no, sorry, it was in 10 days. But, you know, people who are doing this all the time, it's a lot quicker. But, you know, there's, there's a, you get all these sort of laser um, presses now where they are sort of cutting the, the leather with a uh, computer rather than with one of the tools I've brought in. So it depends how you do it, whether it's totally handmade or parts of it are um, are used by computers. So. Do you think you could get one of those kits, Christy, that maybe we could try, you know, like build your own saddle, no? 
Yes, maybe you could you could see if there's any play doh at home. <laughs> <laughs> Might be safer. Um, speaking of safer, oh, uh, sorry, don't, <laughs> I, don't know, don't know. I don't know where that link came from. She didn't say play doh. Uh, that's true, actually. <laughs> I actually found that fascinating. Like, you know, I I had a horse when I was um, growing up. I was a teenager, and I was really into horse riding and looking after the horse. Never occurred to me to actually wonder every time I put a saddle on where it actually came from and the process that went into. To, well, that's quite fascinating. That um, all those all those tools are a bit scary. One does look like a pizza cutter, so it makes me feel slightly <laughs> Now, in Britain today, around one in three people are involved in a step family situation, and that's when someone uh, has children and they marry or cohabit again. It's clearly not an easy journey to embark on, and once again, there is a wide range of advice about how these relationships should be handled to make sure that children especially are not adversely affected. But advice and guidelines are all very well. But what is the reality in 2016 for step parenting or the blended family as it is otherwise known? Well, we're joined live today by Dave Hogg, who has two children of his own and is stepfather to three others. Dave, thank you so much for being with us. What would you say is the biggest challenge that you faced in this situation? Um, I think from my own experience, probably the biggest challenge is coming in with a very open mind. Um, and perhaps everything that you think you know about parenting, getting ready to put that on the back burner and, and ready to start again, I think. Um, I think it's important to put yourself in the children's perspective, both your own and your new partner's children. So if you think about it logically, those children have grown up in an environment which is very normal to them. Um, traditions, everything from, I don't know, leaving socks on the floor through to what they eat at dinner on a Friday night. Um, and so what you do in your own family is very different to other people's families. And then all of a sudden you're bringing those two families together with the, with quite a big clash, really. And it's, so it's just recognising some of the pitfalls that you can fall into and trying to deal with them in a kind of considerate and um, thoughtful manner. The other thing to also be aware of is, of course, is that you become uh, very protective of your own children. And you might not even realise that you're you're doing that. But something that you would say to your own child, if you were to say it to your stepchild, your partner may take that the wrong way and, and I think both of us have both felt that over the last kind of five or six years that often we'll say things and it's perfectly normal to us but it, it can be read the wrong way and taken taken the wrong way. What about things like discipline with that regard then I mean I'm guessing that must be one of the most tricky areas. It's really difficult yeah because obviously with your own kids if they're annoying you you can just say oh so and so stop doing that but when when they're stepchildren and I sorry I hate using the term stepchildren but I guess it's it's the term that we have, but but I, I see them as my own children now after five or six years. But but with your stepchildren, you're less of that kind of parent as a kind of teacher and more try and adopt more of a mentor approach. So instead of saying don't do that, you try and say, oh, is there a different way that we can do that? Or have you, have you thought about maybe if we we come at it from this angle? So it's a constant uh, it's a constant thought process that you always have to be aware of. We are talking about step parenting this afternoon, and we're joined live in the studio by Dave Hogg, who has two children of his own and is stepfather to an the three after his second marriage. Now, at the start of the programme, Dave, you were talking about one of the challenges being going in with an open mind and just accepting that maybe the style of parenting that you're used to may not necessarily be applicable in this case. Did you have a definite idea of the sort of step parent that you actually wanted to be? Um, I had an idea of a step parent I didn't want to be, which was the stereotypical what you see in the old fairy tales. Um, that the step parent is always the evil one. Um, so that's what I didn't want to be. Um, 
I did a lot of reading on the topic before we we all moved in together. And actually, just before I get onto that, it's probably worth saying that my wife and I took a, a conscious decision to really take things slowly when it came to the children. So just because we'd come together didn't necessarily mean that we could throw all the children together. Now, coincidentally, we happened to live in the same street when I moved back to the Isle of Man. So that was fantastic. Uh, my children came over once a month and we made sure that I still had time with them. And then what we gradually did was say, well, we'll just pop up and see Ruth and we'll see see the family up there. And so over a period of 12 months, we'd go out on walks and picnics, but we were very conscious not to, to tell the children they had to be together. And it just happened itself, really. I think it was about 12 months later, it was Christmas, and the kids all said, oh, can we all stay over together? And they all slept in the same room on camp beds. And, and it just really went from there. And then it was about 18 months until we all moved in together. At that point, then, I thought it was really important to read up on the subject. And, and actually, when I did an internet search, the horrifying thing I saw first was that of second marriages which fail, the the 90% of those are due to the family not integrating properly. So that was kind of the headline news. So I knew then that we really had to, to get this right. And so did some more reading on the subject. Uh, we looked at things like when we all came together, it was important that the children all had their own space. So we were in a very fortunate situation that we were able to buy a house that where all the kids had their own uh, their own bedroom, but we weren't, there was no, you know, it was equal. So no no child was made to force to, to be with the other one. So everyone had space where they could go and uh, really go and just be on their own if they wanted to. Um, we looked at as a family sitting down and almost creating our own traditions from the outset. So, okay, you do that, we do that. Hey, why don't we do this on Christmas Day? Why don't we do this on a Sunday? And and it all just happens that naturally it it it's about not forcing it, but being aware of the pitfalls and the things that you can get wrong and trying to be really thoughtful and think, okay, well, how does... Uh, how do the children react when I say this? Women Today, brought to you by CityWing.com for your next flight away. We have been finding out um, about a nursing degree course which is starting over here in September. You've got until January the 29th to apply and we really wanted to know what it's like to take this opportunity. So we are joined now by uh, two students, Alex Lambie, who's a first year student specialising in mental health and Annabelle McLean, who's in her second year of the adult nursing degree. Now, Annabelle, first of all, I have to ask you, when you were a little girl did you have the nurse's outfit and did you practice on all your teddies and dollies no I did not I uh, set fire to my barbie heads <laughs> I'm just I like not that girl. kind of little girl so you wanted to be a hairdresser then no not at all I'm guessing that that didn't come up during the recruitment interview yeah. um what was it then that made you think that this course was for you um well I work in a nursing home in Ramsey and uh I started there when I was 16 and I think working with the elderly really I didn't even want to work as a nurse. I just loved working with the elderly in the activities department there. And I think that really spurred me on. And I went to college and, and did a healthcare course. And that just took me even further. And then I found out about the course and gave it a shot. And here I am, second year. And what difference has it made, the fact that you can do this completely over here? Um, a massive difference. I wasn't interested in going to university across in the UK. It was not something I thought about. Uh, so when I found out it was here, it... it really spurred me on to apply and uh, it's been really beneficial for me. Well, Alex, um, you were in your first year. Yeah. What made you want to do this? Um, for the last six or seven years, I've been working in residential childcare. Um, so I came across uh, children with pretty challenging behaviours um, and the mental health aspect of it really kind of um, stimulated me um, 
I wasn't aware of this course um, until about a year and a half ago and um, going back to uni I went to uni um, when I was 18 it didn't work out um, I didn't think I'd ever have the opportunity to do it again because going across to do do another course just wasn't feasible financially and for other reasons um, so when I found out that there was an opportunity for me to do it on island five minutes away from where I live um, I jumped at it and was really lucky and grateful to get on the course. Yeah. You know, when you think about um, a career in the medical profession, you tend to imagine it being long hours, really hard work. You both have to do some of that practical side. Annabelle, how's that going so far? It's really good. Um, I think I'm now on one of the wards in Nobles and it really gives you an insight into how you know the medical profession is run and uh, getting to work with lots of other you know, medical professionals is fantastic you know it really opens up your mind to lots of different things it's really good assessment for this is ongoing throughout the three years Annabelle how's that side of it it's really good it is I mean it's hard work it's very difficult especially when you're having to have assignments handed in while you're working full-time on placement it's challenging but you have to just get it done and going back to the support the lecturers are absolutely fantastic they're there 24 7 if you are in the middle of the night and you need to ring them for a little bit of help they are there for you and you know um you don't get that in the uk not and at all alex going back to studying has it been okay yeah yeah it's pretty daunting at first um but i think once you get past that first kind of essay and realize that you're your leaders and tutors they want you to pass as much as you do you know there's uh, nobody trying to catch you out um uh, you get more used to it. And just very finally then, Alex and Annabelle, what are your um, ambitions, I guess, with regard to, to going into the workplace once you finish this course? Well, I'm a kind of open book, I must admit. We do so many placements in different areas that I'm enjoying everything I'm seeing um, at the moment, so I'm not going to tie myself down to anything. But I worked with kids before and I loved that, so that's a plan. But I've worked with elderly people recently and I've loved that as well, so I'm just kind of seeing how things go. And Annabelle? Uh, my passion is the elderly, especially those with dementia. I think one day I want to open my own nursing home or dementia unit. Give that a crack. <laughs> Vlogging. Why is it so popular? We're getting into it ourselves here on Women Today, aren't we? A little bit, yeah. Go to our page. We've got videos galore. Saddles and seaweed. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Tempting. The Isle of Man boasts one of the earliest vloggers in our very own Becky Flint. Uh, you go, you'll hear her speaking in just a few minutes. I only really cottoned on to just how much of a big thing it's become uh, when I saw two very pretty young men, Joe Sugg and Casper Lee, on a TV chat show at the end of last year. I assumed they were the next big thing in music because they looked like mini rock stars. But no, they're just guys that make videos of themselves doing things like pranking each other and taking on daft challenges from their fans. Joe and Casper's videos have more than a billion views combined, and a DVD they released recently broke Amazon and iTunes' first day release record. Hardly surprising when you hear these guys have 10 million subscribers to their channel. Here's a clip from their video, Crush on Roommate's Sister, which has had 9 million views. Someone dared me to get my arms waxed by you, I assume it was Viner who sent in the death. Three, two, one. Zero, minus one, minus <gasps> Did it even work? Oh! Yeah, definitely one for the teens, that one. Then there's people like Zoella. Ever heard of her? Nope, me neither. And yet this 24-year-old appears on the Band-Aid single alongside One Direction and has been photographed for Vogue, all because of a little beauty vlog she started. 
that has a cool six and a half million subscribers. <gasps> Look how cute! She is one of the rising stars of the global video blogging world. <laughs> That's horrible. Hello, everybody. It is I, Zoe, and this is Alfie, my boyfriend. Today I'm going to be showing you how I did this gold eye, bold staple red lip look. Right, I am here joined by Becky Cruel, aka Becky Flint, who's come in especially to talk to me about vlogging, because I'm, tr I'm trying to learn about YouTube and all that kind of thing, Becky. So, uh, I mean, you've been doing this for quite some time. When did you actually start? I actually started my YouTube channel in... 2007 I think so it's a really really long time you were so you're like way ahead of the crowd on this weren't you YouTube began in 2006 so I was one year after it opened really yeah wow what was your very first video oh my goodness I think my very first video is like a video of my old cat sleeping which is nice because <laughs> he's not with us anymore but it's nice to have that memory still on my channel and then obviously you started putting yourself on screen and before you did the dance obviously that made you very famous um you did just do some little videos of yourself to start with didn't you yeah I did I mean my channel has changed so much over the years I started out doing like random little vloggy stuff just like playing with like the editing software on my mom's laptop like just I was I was only about 12 or 13 years old so I was just like oh I'm gonna share this with the world and I only got like maybe 100 views max on my videos but um when I started doing the dancing things kind of started you know building up and up a bit more and suddenly like I had about 200 emails and it just kept on going up and up and I had no idea what had happened. From that I was able to go to Japan and perform there and you know do my dances in real life on stages in Japan and it just you know forged this massive career for me which is amazing. So you, you presumably were one of the first internet sensations then, really? I was one of the very early ones. There were a few like old school kind of viral videos around that time, but it was def it's definitely nothing compared to like, you know, nowadays, like the whole game has changed so much. Now a lot more people are aware of it and viewing it. And so things are kind of, you know, put in front of a wider audience. Like my video, Danjo, has three million views, which is ah. massive at the time. I know, and it's massive today. And when you think about that number, that's huge. But nowadays, viral video isn't like even properly viral, isn't even you know going to be on the news unless it's got at least 10 million, 15, 20 million views. That's numbers which I think my channel's got total 21 million views. That's just, some people get that in just one video. Now, if you are a regular Women's Day listener, you may remember that back at the end of October, we had a special programme to mark Hoptune or Halloween to the uninitiated. And we were joined in the studio by Alan Shaw from Isle of Man Ghost Tours and Emma Wells, who's a medium. And we decided then it would be a good idea to organise a ghost hunt here at Manx Radio. It could be a bright sunny day, brilliant. Better at night, in the dark. Much better. You use all your senses when it's pitch black. Yeah, I'm sure it will. So, true to their word, Alan and Emma picked a stormy dark night last week for it. And here is how we got on. I was just talking to Ben Hartley before and he is convinced he heard Terry Kringle's typewriter going on its own. Yeah. No. Yeah, I don't believe no. Ben Hartley on that one, I'm sorry. No. Okay, right, we're just going to be... We're going to be okay. Let's uh, just let's just go do it. Will you hold my hand? Yeah. Okay. Let's go. We are in the kitchen here at Manx Radio. Alan Shaw, you have a box full of tricks with you. Explain what's going on here. Yeah, we've got three boxes with us tonight. This is the general uh, standard ghost hunted equipment that we use. A lot of the meters we have are 
EMF, electromagnetic fields, uh, also as well EVP, electronic voice phenomena, which is hopefully what we're going to pick up tonight for you. I'm Eve Kelly and I also help Alan with Isle of Man Ghost Tours and our ghostly investigations. And over the years I've been using dowsing rods and dowsing crystals. Some people are very sceptical, they're quite frightened about using them and it's always interesting to see when somebody actually gets the dowsing rods to cross or spin round and they've never used them before and they think it's all a trick and then they find out, no, it isn't. So we'll give you a go later and you can have a go yourself. And for you, presumably, you've always been open to this type of thing. I've always kept an open mind. Too many people experience too many things. I'm not a medium, I don't see or hear anything. I just have learnt to go with gut reactions. So then Kate had a go with the dowsing rods. Where are the Where taps? Are... Oh my god, that's horrible. Oh, that's really creepy. What did you just do then? They just moved. Without, I wasn't doing anything. That was really, really creepy and they just pointed exactly okay. where the taps are. We've got an idea of a man that's with us at the moment and um, he's, he's quite self-important. Um, he's only given me the date of 1990. Um, he's wearing a suit. And he's very hard to communicate with because he want, he's got an air of authority, so I'm struggling to actually communicate with him. So um, he's very, very good on the rods. So she's just giving me a little bit of a hand to see if you guys can see the answers that we're getting, see if it gives us a, re- a way in. So both Kate and Eve mm-hmm. have got rods now. So technically if we're talking to someone, they, they should both be the same. They should both be the same. We should both get the same answers on both rods. And of course, that's also like a test. Okay. So it's a test that we can do um, to show that Eve's not manipulating the rods because we could try and get the same answer. Okay, let's give it a go then. Okay. Right, Mr Elliot, now that we both are holding the dowsing rods out, can you tell us again, did you work in the advertising field? Okay, we have both sets of dowsing rods crossing positively. Thank you very much. How's it feel, okay? It's really bizarre. Ghost hunt is over. We are still you know, fairly brave, standing in Max Radio reception. How are you feeling? I don't know how I feel, actually. Um, do you know what? Not as scary as I thought. Weirdly calm mm. and quite warm and comforting in a strange way. Um, but, yeah, I don't know how I feel. I really don't. It's it's made me a bit confused. Yeah, I'm definitely not as scared as I was when we started out. I feel kind of, yeah, quite calm about it there were a couple of moments which were just a little bit difficult to explain maybe but yeah I'd quite fancy going on another one I reckon yeah and you'll be all right now if I just leave you and Max Radio on your own and I'll go off again I know Kate no come back Kate no don't don't leave Kate Kate no right I'm okay it's fine If you've missed any of last week's programmes, you can listen again on demand at manxradio.com and don't forget to check us out on the Women Today Facebook page and at MRWomenToday on Twitter.